great Odin's raven. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. This is. This is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. With I'll go. Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number fifty-six. My name is Adam. Today I'm joined by Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. This week we have a bunch of big interviews lined up. Three, to be exact. Just interview after interview. Yep. First up, we'll be having a chat with rock star DJ Josh Lacash on his new film, Rebel, Rebel, Rebel. Uh, the- <laughs> Uh, it's a terrible name for a film. Uh, Good film, but terrible name for a film. Then we'll be talking to director Jeffrey Schwartz on his upcoming documentary, I Am Divine, which will be having its world premiere at South by Southwest next week. And then finally, we'll be having a conversation with director Vincenzo Natali on his new film, Haunter, which will also be premiering at South by Southwest. If that wasn't enough for a show... Oh. We'll also be talking about some of what we've been watching. We'll be going over this week's movie predictions. And finally, we'll be looking at this week's DVD and Blu-ray releases. First, first, I'm going to switch it up this week. Let's just jump right into these interviews. All right. I'm down Uh, for that. First, we talked to DJ Josh Lacash. But I think he doesn't have the DJ. I think he just does Josh Lacash. Very interesting guy. Talked about his new movie, Rebel, Rebel, Rebel. Let's give that a listen. <laughs> well, let's get let's get started. Why don't you tell the listeners who is Josh Lacash? Um, I am a DJ originally from Miami, Florida, and I am kind of a rising star in the DJ world. I would say. A, now you've you've been known as a rock star in the DJ world. Yeah. Would you say that 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 pretty accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the reason that we're talking to you today is uh, you have a new movie coming out called Rebel, 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 and this was kind of a, a documentary that followed you around during your tumultuous uh, rising as a star. How, how do you feel about how this movie kind of sheds its light on you? Because it seems like it's not painting the best picture. Um, uh, I... I... Originally, I mean, Kyle, the, the director, is very secretive. Um, he was following me around for two weeks, so you can imagine how much footage he actually had. So he, he, he was the one really painting the picture. I had no control over it. So I wasn't 100% happy with the outcome of it. Um, but there were some things I liked about it, and the main thing that I do like about it is the press I'm getting. Right. And there you go. I hope, I hope that our... Next plan is to make um, a feature-length documentary, and I really want to push the envelope, and I want to show how far I can go and who I really am. Okay. Now, what what would you say to people that that would just kind of disregard um, like modern DJing as as more like just uh, pressing play on a button? Um, I would say those are people who are scared of change and who are scared of of um, any sort of technological movement because they're just they're, and they're, those are the type of people that are just going to be left behind I think I think that with any with any um, job or, 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 or just really anything 
anyone does. I think that there's going to be people that are shitty, and I think that there are going to be people that are good. So, yeah, sure, there are a lot of shitty DJs, but then there, are, then again, there are a lot of good ones who probably wouldn't have ever started DJing if it wasn't for um, the new technology coming out. Now, do you think that that's because they, they couldn't do it? They wouldn't have the skill set to do it otherwise? No, I think it's probably because it wasn't accessible. I think that think that um, um, it, may, it could have either been too expensive or they probably weren't just ex- exposed to it. But, you know, now it would be hard not to be exposed to it. And it's not as expensive. Now, one thing that I do uh, want to credit you for is you use Serato, right? You use... Yeah. Uh, what two twelve hundreds and uh, Serato? Yeah, and that's more than what some people are doing nowadays. So I, I do want to credit you for that. Yeah, um, no, thank you. There, there are there are people who use iPhones and that they don't even they don't even DJ. They just connect their iPhone to the mixer and then play, pr- press next for whatever song they want. <laughs> and there's, uh, I mean, I've seen Shiloh, uh, not Shiloh, uh, Elijah Elijah would do that. And that dude's a fucking dick, too. <laughs> like, so, and I would say, like, the equivalent of, like, crate digging is just searching through iTunes? Or how's that work for these I, new style DJs? Oh, with their, uh, with their iPhones? Mm-hmm. iPods? I honestly, no, I don't know. They, they, they really plug in through the, through the headphone jack. They, 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 they can do what anyone does. They can... Like what anyone does when they connect their iPhone to their car or to whatever they they just press next. I think you know. I mean, it's it's that's not really DJing, but they they stand up there with the headphones and they look like they're G- DJing. So, I mean, for someone like him, Elijah Wood, who's an actor and who I guess practices his lines and and puts so much work into acting, and then to to not do anything, uh, not put any effort in in, in DJing, I find that uh, offensive. Mm, okay. I didn't even know that Elijah Wood was into DJing. I just hate Elijah Wood, but yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of, there's, uh, there's a lot of those people. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I like to call them laptop DJs. Now, I used to, I used to DJ myself a little bit, and we we use Serato as well. So I can't. I think that that is the best way to go. I mean, especially even you don't want to carry around a crate of like fifty records with you you know right or, or a ton of cds or, or yeah i mean it's a progression of technology you, you know you should embrace it um right yeah you should just embrace it the progression of technology i want to talk about the what i like to call the Katy perry debacle oh yeah <laughs> now this was uh this was all caught on camera and it's it's in your documentary uh have you recovered from that uh-huh. it seemed like by the end of the the film you've already recovered but yeah, I mean, there there are ups and downs with any gig. I mean, um, you mean when I had to make an announcement? It just seemed like that it was kind of a struggle. I'm um, I'm a DJ. I don't I don't I'm not I'm not um, I don't I'm not an announcer. I don't hype up the crowd with my voice. <laughs> they asked me to make an announcement about their eyelashes. They 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 asked me to do that in the last second. How am I supposed to How am I supposed to do that? I I, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's. You know, also, you know, th- those gigs are, are really tough. Those crowds are tough because, I mean, you'd think that's easy and you just play top 40 and that's it. But, I mean, I personally don't like doing that. So I'm going to probably throw in some of the stuff I like and then and then maybe I'm going to throw in something with 
with curse words, and then I'm going to have parents to yell at me, which happened. Um, so uh, there's a lot of um, my attention span is. I mean, my attention is just going a million different places in that kind of gig, and and um, so then when you ask me to make an announcement in the last second, and also I might be drunk. Um, it's not, <laughs> not a good idea. Now, uh, what kind of what kind of music do you do you like, or what kind of music do you like to spin? Um, my my favorite gigs are like there was this party that we were doing. Uh, I was doing for a whole year, and we're gonna bring it back in April, I think, in downtown LA. It's called Lil Death, L I L Death, and um, in that party, I really got to do whatever I wanted, and I really like you know, dark electronic synth music and that that's like where I could really, really, really do what I want. And those are the types of parties I really like to do. Um the personal appearance events for celebrities and all that, those are great for money but not for creativity, not to really, really do what you like. Now for for those that like I, I have a friend that uh is a professional DJ out of Orlando and he for him how would what would be your best advice in grabbing some of these like big celebrity gigs like i mean how do they pick you out of move out of orlando <laughs> <laughs> i mean seriously i mean at least move down to miami uh, uh, it's it, you know i i've mostly um focused my attention on miami i mean that's where i started and i was there for like 4 or 5 years djing and then i decided to move out to la because I was getting those celebrity um, gigs, and I'm getting more of them in LA than I was in Miami. But Miami was like the jump off for me. I mean, you get you get you you, you start getting noticed by like the local magazines there, and I guarantee you, the local magazine in Miami, which is like Ocean Drive or the New Times, Miami New Times, I I guarantee you that will get you more attention than anything in Orlando does. So what? Uh... What's next? Like, what kind of gigs you have lined up? I want to start playing festivals. I, I, I mean, and the way you do that is to start making music, and I've been starting to write music. So hopefully that will take off. Um, but I, I want to play fe- festivals, and and my buddy over here, he's a DJ. Uh, his name's Chris Holmes. He he's DJed. He's opened for Paul McCartney, and mm. I feel like if he could do it, I could do it, and. I would love to open for like a legend like that, maybe David Bowie or something. He's having a new album out. I mean, the sky's the limit. There's so much I could do, and I'm not. I'm not even just focused on on just one thing. I, I mean, if if I if I get to open for a giant legend rock star like David Bowie, I'll do that, and then still try to make music and still try to go to um, festivals and stuff like that. Now, uh, getting back to the movie, I read that you have a, a vendetta with South by Southwest. Oh, yeah. Thanks and- for bringing that up. Honestly, <laughs> I just woke up like 15 minutes ago, so my brain's not 100% functioning. But yeah, fuck South by Southwest. Honestly, <laughs> those people, I mean, it's a fucking music and film festival. How is my movie not in there? I don't fucking understand. It's not like it wasn't in Slam Dance. I mean, we are getting recognized, and and we are and people are liking the movie. So for South by Southwest to not pick it up is mind boggling. They're probably a bunch of film school dropouts who are just jealous of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean now, this film does seem perfectly suited for South by Southwest. I agree. I was I, I was surprised it that it wasn't involved. 
Yeah, we're still going out there because um, there's a smaller film festival uh, going on at the same time, and they're going to screen my movie. So um, <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm still going out there, and I'm going to really, really, really just talk to you about <laughs> South by Southwest. I will forever, even if I do like a giant movie or, or I become a giant DJ or whatever, Whatever I do in the future, if they invite me, there's no fucking way I'm going. And I'm, there's no fucking way I'm doing anything ever in my life for South by Southwest. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love people that have vendettas. I love it. Vendettas are always great, for whatever reason. So, you, so you'll, be, you'll be in uh, Texas. When, when is the film screening there? On uh, Mar- uh, wait, yeah, March 10th uh, at 5.30 p.m. at the RX... FM Film Festival. Okay, cool. So if you're in if you're in uh, Texas and you're getting overwhelmed with South by, definitely check that out. The movie's Rebel, Rebel, Rebel. And where can people find more of your work online? Um, SoundCloud uh, slash uh, Josh Lacash. And yeah, SoundCloud is probably the best. And I'm I'm sure there's some clips of the film on YouTube. So just type in Josh Lacash on YouTube. Yeah, I think there is. I think there is a bunch of stuff. You're on Twitter too, right? I am on Twitter. Everything I have is Josh Lacash. Uh, so, so I made it easy for everyone, I guess, and for myself. All right. Well, thank you very much, Josh, for taking some time out of your busy schedule to uh, talk with us, and maybe we can meet up in South by. Oh yeah, definitely. That'd be great. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank thanks. You. Thanks again, Josh, for taking some time to give us a chat, and we'll hopefully be seeing you again in Austin, even though you're not a big fan of the South by Southwest. No, not at all. Let's get into our next conversation with director Jeffrey Schwartz. He made a documentary, a little documentary about Divine, and An it amazing was amazing. Documentary. Yeah. It, was, it was great. So we, this is having its world premiere at South by. We were able to have a quick chat with Mr. Schwartz, so let's go ahead and give that a listen. Let's talk about... Um, maybe your introduction into film because I, I did a little research looked looked you up on the old IMDB and it looks like you're you're kind of like a producer extraordinaire you have 301 titles yeah well yeah, a lot of what I do uh, for a living I guess my day job is producing added value DVD extras mm-hmm. and uh, EPKs electronic press kits for the studios so I've spent the last, you know, more than a decade working for the studios. Uh, I have a company called Automat Pictures, and um, that's what we do. And I've over the years produced probably dozens and dozens of um, titles uh, for, you know, new movies that are they call them day and date movies. Like we just finished uh, the new Resident Evil uh, Blu-ray, and there's extras on there. But then also library titles. And over the years, I've gotten to work with some amazing directors people that I've looked up to over the years and getting to make documentaries about their work, like Martin Scorsese and David Lynch and Wes Craven and so many other people that I just adore. So I've been really, really lucky that my job is also, uh, you know, making, making documentary work. Although the, the documentary features I've done are kind of a separate thing. Uh, they, even though I'd made, um, you know, hundreds of these uh, featurettes, it wasn't until I made my first feature that I was sort of considered a director, you know, considered a filmmaker. So the first feature was called Spine Tingler, the William Castle story that mm-hmm. came out in, uh, premiered at the AFI Fest in 07 and uh, then was subsequently released on DVD and 
uh, it just aired on Turner Classic Movies and it just came out on iTunes. So you know, these movies, even though it's yeah. like five years old, they, it still has a life in it. Uh, actually, I just watched it last night from iTunes. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. So uh, were, were you a big William Castle fan? What what brought you to, to make a movie like that? Well, uh, you know, I was introduced to William Castle actually through John Waters because uh, when I was in high school, he had, he had a book called Crackpot and there was an essay in there about his love of William Castle. And I I didn't really know William Castle. I guess I had heard of the movies because I was a big monster movie fan. But when I read William uh, uh, John Waters' essay about William Castle, I just fell in love with William Castle because I just fell in love with his personality and his audacity and his humor. And uh, then I started developing that as a documentary when I first moved to Los Angeles in, um, the, mid, in the mid-90s. I actually had pitched it to Sony, who owned a lot of the William Castle movies. I was a little bit naive at the time. I didn't realize that major studios don't really bankroll um, <laughs> independent documentary mm-hmm. films. But the guy who was who I pitched it to was uh, just hired to run the DVD division uh, at Sony, and this was a brand new format. And so, through meeting him, through through pitching the William Castle movie at Sony, I met the guy running the DVD division, and then he ended up hiring me to start producing DVD extras. So that's kind of how the whole William Castle led me to this whole um, business of, of producing uh, content. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. So uh, John Waters was in Spine Tingler, and he's now in I Am Divine, the new movie that we're going to be talking about. Have you developed some sort of friendship with John Waters? Well, I hope that we're friends. I mean, I, I feel like he knows me and he knows my work. And, you know, after uh, Spine Tingler... Uh, I, I worked with him again in another uh, piece I did for Stars called In the Gutter, which was about the rise of the Gross Out movie, mm. and also worked with him uh, on the the DVD for the Hairspray remake, and that was a New Line project. And I, I did the um, all the extras for the remake, and part of the extras was a, a piece about the original Hairspray. I, actually, even going further back, talking about the original Buddy Dean show that John and Divine, too, uh, used to watch, and that, that inspired the story of Hairspray. So, uh, but part of the, the documentary about the original Hairspray, of course, was talking about Divine, and that's kind of where the idea started when I realized that there hadn't really been a proper uh, feature documentary about Divine's life. And uh, I had, uh, pitched the idea to John. It was probably around the time Spine Tingler came out. It was in 07, um, uh, 08, and... Um, and he was a little hesitant at first because he's very close to the to the story, of course. You know, mm-hmm. he wanted to make sure that it was done right. But having seen my work and having even been in one of my films, uh, he he ended up uh, giving me his blessing and, and saying, I, "I trust that you're going to make a great movie." And then he ended up uh, talking to all the people that I wanted to interview and, and telling them that they should do it. So I think without John's early support, I, I mean, if he had said like, "No, I don't want you to do it," I would not have embarked on this. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do anything. That didn't have his blessing, but luckily right. he, he did give us his blessing, and then that that just opened up so many doors for us. And then he ended up allowing us to use clips from his films and in our documentary, and he's been just incredible. He gave us a great interview, and and uh, I'm I'm you know he's probably the one um, person you know living director that's had like the most influence on me and has sort of steered me in a direction over the years. He's he's fantastic, uh, uh, fantastic guy. Yeah, um, Kevin and I are both huge. John Waters fans love John Waters. We went, both of us went to go see him speak on different occasions, and he's just such a, an amazing person, just so interesting. And he's, uh, he's hilarious, you know, and like yeah, you said, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. going to see him speak, you know, he this is not a new thing for him. He used to do that with Divine, 
they would do tours and they would basically do sort of a stand-up act, you know. And um, mm-hmm. so John, John's been doing this a long, long time, and and he loves doing it. He travels around the country, he travels around the world doing this one-man show now, and he's had huge success with it. He has a whole brand new audience that knows him through the through this rather than from growing up with the movies. You know, it's so interesting. Yeah, my yeah. my wife is actually a huge fan of John Waters, but she's never seen a John Waters film. <laughs> it's it's only through his books and seeing him speak. Yeah, I think that's probably not too uncommon. I mean, that when I first um, got introduced to him, it was through his writing too, because in high school I just I didn't have access to those movies, but I read Shock Value and I read um, Crackpot and all the essays he was writing. So. That was how I got turned on to Divine and got turned on to John Waters just through his writing, and then got then saw the movies. So I, it's probably and it's still happening. It's so interesting. People are just discovering him in all kinds of ways. Probably people saw that episode of The Simpsons he was on, and know him <laughs> from that. You know? He's also in the uh, that Lonely Island video, the <laughs> creep video. Oh yeah, he's in that, and, and just he's in Bride of Chucky. He just pops Bride up, of Chucky. He pops yep. up all over the place. It's uh, yeah, he's great, and he's a real ham too. I love seeing him in, in movies. Oh yeah, it's it's he's just great. Um, getting back to I Am Divine now, you you finance this through Kickstarter, and we actually do a feature on the on the website every week where we pick a Kickstarter project and we promote it and and try to get. Uh, the director on, and you were the first one, I believe the first one, that we actually promoted on our site. Uh, as soon as I saw it pop up, I was like, yes, I need to see that movie. <laughs> That's good. Well, you know, I, I felt this is the first time that I had really um, aggressively used social media and Kickstarter uh, to help to finance one of my projects. And my producer, Lottie Ferris-Knowles, and I... Uh, spent about a year developing the community before we hit them up for cash. <laughs> you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we cultivated uh, thousands of people on our uh, Facebook page and, 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 and interfaced with them every day, you know, and, and would, would send crazy uh, links to stories that had happened and uh, links to, uh, that directly related to John Waters and Divine, but also just, you know, crazy things that happened in Florida, you know, uh, uh, strange criminals or uh, uh, filth of all kinds. And, and so we, we just started having a lot of fun with it and, um, that, and started to get people excited and interested in the project that we were doing. So by the time that we actually were ready to launch our campaign, we had probably over 10,000 uh, fans on there. And we, uh, it's a lot of work doing a Kickstarter campaign. I don't think people realize, you know, because you have yeah. to, once you launch it, you have to, you have to really water that garden every single day and, mm-hmm. um, and offer uh, incentives that are very appealing to people. So we kind of split up our, our, ca- our, our, um, our levels. There's like, can I, can I curse on this show? Yes, there's the shit kicker level. There's the the maniac level. There's the chubby chaser level. Uh, there's the Jezebel level. You know, and they were all different levels. And and you know the the for for a bare minimum of ten bucks, you could get your name in the credits, which was very appealing to a lot of people, especially in this economy. And all the way up to some major donors. And we're lucky enough that one of our uh, producers is Lance Robertson, aka DJ Lance Rock from Yo Gabba Gabba who is a huge divine fan that and not a lot of people know about the real Lance Robertson you know who you know they know who DJ Lance Rock is from the mm-hmm. show but Lance is you know he's he's a former punk rocker and a musician and a, and a and a cult movie fanatic so you know a lot of people stepped up to the plate to help us and uh, i think there's at this point there's about there's 2225 donors i think to this movie and yeah. we certainly could not have done it without all those fans 
Yeah. So uh, let's let's talk about the documentary itself now. You, we got a chance to check this out, and first of all, let me say I, I loved it. Huge fan. I didn't know a whole lot about Divine, and I think that that's really the draw of of this documentary is that people know Divine the character, but not many people know Divine as as the person. That's true. I mean, I learned a lot about Divine too. I think also if you if if you're a Divine fan, you might only know him from the John Waters films, but you don't know how that character developed, where it came from, what the you know it's a, it's an origin story, I guess you could call it. And um, there's also Divine's theatrical career. Uh, there's his music career. There's his disco career, and then just also his his personality that that he was so different from the the characters that were in the movies, and he was so different than his sort of public persona was. He was a very uh, soft-spoken, gentle, introspective, shy, uh, with almost withdrawn as Glenn, you know, loving, full mm-hmm. of love in his heart. But as Divine, it was completely different. You know, as soon as he put on the wig and the heels and the dress, <laughs> uh, Tab Hunter said he had like sparks coming out of his ass, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I just love it. It's such a, it's such a, I think a lot of people who do drag do that for that reason, that they can channel uh, uh, something that they're really not able to do in their, in their, no, in their normal everyday life into their, into the character. And that's certainly what, what Divine did with, with that character. Yeah, absolutely. I, there was so much I learned about Divine. Like, First of all, I was taken aback when I found out how different Divine was on screen and off screen. I thought that that was just so interesting because when you see the movies, it's just like, how can this person not be insane in real life? <laughs> well, you know? That's true. And it caused him a lot of trouble in his in his personal life because people were a little bit scared of him, you know, because they thought, well, John Waters must have just found this person in some insane asylum somewhere and put him in movies. But actually, that was a—he was a skilled actor, you know. So mm-hmm. people t- took him. People took him for granted. I think they didn't really see that there was an actor behind those roles, and uh, that there was a lot of thought put into that and a lot of skill. I mean, he's not divine in all those movies. He's Francine Fishpaw, you know, or he's Don Davenport. Uh, mm-hmm. He's he's uh, or Edna Turnblad. I mean, that's they're all completely different characters. They have they all have divine in common, but. You know, he's he he brought different aspects of his own personality to those roles, and he really craved um, the respect as an actor, and he wanted to do more roles out of drag as himself. You know, he he even at one point he had a manager when he he moved to L.A. and and they considered sending him out on on readings as Glenn Milstead, but they quickly decided that that wasn't going to be a good idea because he was divine and everyone knew him as divine. But he he really wanted to do male roles, and it started to happen for him uh, in in the in the mid '80s, and especially after Hairspray. He started right. get there was a lot of interest in, in Divine as a out of drag. And he was he was gonna be on Married with Children, right? Yeah, after Hairspray, the you know, the irony and I, I every, I'm not giving anything away because I think most people know that, that he yeah. passed away after right after Hairspray came out. And um he was offered a role on Married with Children as uh Peg Bundy's uncle, out of drag, you know, as a man. And he uh was so thrilled about that because he really had made it. I mean, this thing started off, he didn't realize that that he could even have an acting career or be a movie star when he was this overweight sissy kid growing up in Baltimore that wanted to be a movie star. You know, how likely was that to happen? And then for him to have made this journey and be accepted in a mainstream way and to get a role on a hit, top hit sitcom was a, really a dream come true for him. And he flew to L.A., to shoot the episode and he just went to bed the night before the filming and he didn't wake up 
and who knows what would have happened to him had he lived and had his career gone on. You know, it might be Divine's Drag Race instead of Drew RuPaul's Drag Race. Who knows? Yeah, I could see that definitely, and and it it it's really a tragedy because it seemed like his career was on such an upward trajectory by that point. Like he was just getting so much stuff and he had so much momentum. It was. It it is a tragedy, and but but on the other hand. I mean, there's no doubt that it was a tragedy, and it's really, it's not a happy ending. But in the other sense, it is a happy ending, because he just went to bed one night and didn't wake up, at, and he was the happiest he had ever been in his life. So, of right. course, it's a tragedy, and of course, you know, we would love to have seen what could have happened next, but um, I don't know, that, that might be a, uh, not a, not the worst way in the world to go out, you know, to just, like, go to bed yeah. with a smile on your face, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and also, you know, John Waters told me this too. He's like, I didn't know that you'd be able to give this thing a happy ending because it's so depressing what happened, and, and it was so sad for all, John and all his all their all of Divine's close friends that they lost him. But in a way, Divine, you know, we lost him, but but he's he's ours for the ages. You know, he's he's always going to be around through those movies, and now through this documentary, a whole new generation is get going to get to know him. And I feel like he's such an inspiration for for anyone who's ever felt like an outsider or a freak. You know, you don't have to be. Um, uh, have grown up uh, gay to uh, identify with Divine. Anyone who feels like a freak, for whatever reason it is, you know, um, mm-hmm. can identify with Divine. And so he's he's certainly a role model for for misfit youth, I would say. And and anyone who feels like um, that they're just on the outside looking in, you know, Divine really sh- uh, proves that you can turn all that around. And um, you know, it's interesting that it's sort of in the zeitgeist now with, with the It Gets Better campaign and all this talk about bullying. I mean, Divine was a victim of, of bullying when he was in high school, vicious bullying. And every single day was, was torture for him going to high school. And, uh, and it wasn't until he found a way to channel that rage into the Divine character <laughs> that I think he really came into himself. And he also you know met John and met all these other people who loved him and accepted him. All the other freaks growing up in Baltimore, you know, uh, the Dreamland crew. It wasn't until that happened that he really um, came into himself and 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 found something that he loved to do, and that took him on this incredible journey. The film got into South by Southwest. It's going to be having. Is it premiering there? Yeah. Or did you have some premieres other places? No, that's it's going to be. It's, the... it's our world premiere. World premiere. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, how does that feel to to get your to get your film into South by? having its world premiere there. Oh my god, it's it's unbelievable that well first of all it's unbelievable that the movie's done. <laughs> it's been it's been quite a long time working on this thing. So, you know, having a festival premiere and and getting that getting a getting a yes, you know, it's so great to get a yes in, no matter what you're doing because in LA it's you know, either is no or just no answer whatsoever about things that you want to do and then somebody says yes to you and it's so great. So, and especially South by because they there, it's it's such a it's such a party. I've never been to South by, but everyone I know who's been just loves it, and uh, everyone's saying that that festival and this film are a great match. And I know the audiences are really super enthusiastic, and you know the whole city just turns into a big party, and people are there to see movies, you know, and listen to music, and 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 so I feel like um, I'm really it's less than a week away, and I'm really 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 excited. And we just finished the movie like last week, you know, so mm-hmm. it's. Um, it's hard to believe it, and I think that the fact that a week from today we'll have had our world premiere and then we'll be on to other film festivals after that is just hard to believe. I'm super excited about it. Yeah, and I, I think it's definitely deserving. I mean, the the movie have turned out great. And Thank you. Congratulations again on it turning out so good. And 
Do you know when uh, the film will be screening at South by? Yeah, uh, it's screening on Saturday night. Uh, next, let's see. I'll give you the. It's um Saturday, March 9th at nine fifteen. There you go. And so, I, I you... must say that if you're in South by Southwest, I implore you to see this movie. <laughs> this is yeah. this was such a great documentary. It was so respectfully done and just yes, it was amazing. I loved it. And, and like you said before, the tone of the documentary is it's not a a sad movie and the way that it's done is very lighthearted and and fun well i i'm glad you say that i mean i i I, the 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 style of the films really do stem from the subject matter and stem from the character so we wanted to have fun with the style we we employed uh, a lot of animation and uh sort of a a light-hearted approach but it's it's not all that i mean there's definitely a, a journey there and particularly uh, Divine's relationship with his uh, mother, with his family, mm-hmm. yes, oh, went, yeah. goes, goes through a lot of stages. And I think, you know, when you're a rebellious teenager and you just want to say, you know, f you to your parents, um, they're still going to be in your life, you know. And you and uh, there's a there's um, I hope a, a very emotional um, uh, I hope there's some emotional resonance there for people who've had difficulties with their family that it's possible to reconnect with them. Even though uh, there's been problems in the past, I mean, it's. I'm sure it was very difficult for Divine's mom to accept, you know, their son eating dog shit in a street in Baltimore, <laughs> yeah. and becoming a, a cult movie star for being so outrageous. Um, but she, they did end up accepting him, you know, and they did end up when when they reunited, they put up a big sign um, in their house that said "Welcome Home, Divine," and then they used the Divine name. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It's, I think it's very uh, touching, actually, and so the movie. Yes, the movie is is essentially a comedy, but I, I hope that it kind of takes you through all the 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 things that a movie is supposed to do, uh, and um, and people are touched emotionally by this by this guy, and, and would be maybe surprised by that. Yeah, I, I definitely have to say that that was extremely heartwarming section of the documentary. It was like you said to have it end on a, a happy note, to have that happen before he passes away. Yeah, it was, just, it was great. Yeah, and thank God we were able to interview Frances Milstead, Divine's mother. Uh, she was actually the first interview that we did because I just didn't want to take any chances. And in fact, she did end up passing away a couple years after we did the interview. And so she's not mm. she was she's obviously not able to see this movie, but I hope somehow she knows. Mm. Mm. She does talk about it in our film that she you know when I talked to her for for the interview, she was saying after Divine died, she was really angry and bitter. For years after that happened, and like, why did this have to happen? Why couldn't I have gone first? You know, why did God have to take Divine away from me? But then she realized that even though she lost him, she, the world has him now. You know, yeah. and she yeah. used to get letters from from young people all the time saying how much Divine meant to them and how it, it helped it helped them in their own journey. Divine's journey inspired them, you know, and that he was okay with who he was, and that that meant they could be okay with who they were too. So I think that you know at the end of her life she knew that and she was and she was so beloved too. I mean she had she lived in Florida and she she you know was you know grand marshal of pride parades, gay pride parades and she mm. and she had all these gay guys just you know t- attend to her every need, you know. And she lost divine but she gained this whole community of you know 40 something year old gay guys. <laughs> I know some of them and I think it's just so so wonderful and she she was very supportive of this movie. I wish she could have gotten a chance to see it though. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to, to chat with us. Uh, the film's having its world premiere at South by Southwest. It's called I Am Divine. Uh, do you have any plans for 
other festivals, uh, distribution deals, that type of thing in the works? We, uh, our, world, our international premiere is going to be at the uh, London Lesbian and Gay Film Festival that's run by the BFI. But that's right after South By. And then uh, Cleveland's been announced, and there's a whole slate of other ones that haven't been officially announced, yet, so I can't talk about it. But I hope almost every city in America will get to see this movie. And then as far as distribution, we'll see what happens after South By. Uh, I'm hoping that we can... Um, we can attract uh, a, a distributor and, and get it to as wide an audience as possible. Well, I certainly hope so, too. Yes. Uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to talk with us. Sure. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks again, Jeffrey. And be sure to check out I Am Divine if you're going to be at South by Southwest. And as he said, there's going to be plenty more screenings of that that are going to be starting, you said, with uh, Cleveland, right? I think so. Yeah. So, I don't know. All I know is... This documentary is amazing, and you need to see it. Yes, yes. And Sim- with, Simply put. Yes, and with discussing a character that is an exercise in bad taste, this documentary is done so tastefully, it's very respectful to Divine yes. and Glad yeah, as a whole. Absolutely. It's amazing. For our final interview today, we had a chat with director Vincenzo Natali, on his new film, Haunter, which is going to be premiering at South by Southwest. So let's just go ahead and kick that off. Let's do it. So let's let's talk about, let's start from the beginning. Let's talk about your your early career. What got you into film to, to start? Uh, well, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, my first memory of seeing a movie was the seventh, uh, excuse me, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, the old Ray Harryhausen film. So I had always loved movies from a very young age, I was probably four years old when I saw that. But actually my first love was comic books. And, and my great desire was to be a comic book artist. And somewhere around the age of eight, I saw Star Wars and then that kind of tipped the balance or tipped mm-hmm. the scale. A bit. <clears throat> and, and I really became interested in actually in visual effects and makeup effects, that kind of thing. And, uh, and then I grew up with a Super 8 camera. I had a friend who actually was uh, one of the writers on Cube. And ultimately, and uh, we made films together throughout high school, and that was it. So it's kind of the typical film nerd story. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say, since you mentioned Cube, I love Cube. This, Cube. Uh, this was, I was such a huge fan of this. I think Kevin and I saw this when it came out in 97 or when it I'm, came out on I'm, VHS. I'm pretty sure we probably skipped school yeah. to see Cube. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we absolutely loved Cube. Oh, thank you. That's really great to hear. Yeah. Now, uh, we weren't we weren't real big on the sequels, though. I will admit that. <laughs> right. I had now, in case you didn't know, no. I had to do with the sequels. <laughs> yeah, I know that. So, uh, was Cube your first? That was your first feature. That was my first feature film. Yeah. And what we're talking about today is Haunter, and that's that's your newest film. Now, you've done a, a pretty impressive slate of things in the industry since your first feature you did um splice which i'm sure many people know about uh that was a kind of really twisted movie if i do say so uh (laughs) but it was uh it was a great science fiction horror film and now you have haunter and that's making it is that premiering at south by is that having its world premiere there yeah yeah very few people have actually seen it it's yeah yeah, we tried to we tried to get your uh, publicist to send us a screener, and he was not all about that. 
Yeah, you gotta. That's right. You gotta experience it firsthand. That's oh, no, that, well, that's how we prefer to do it anyway. So we're we're more than happy. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Haunter? Maybe what it's about, the plot, who's in it. Sure. <clears throat> well, Haunter is the story of a dead teenager, um, played by Abigail Breslin, and she is trapped in a kind of purgatory where she has to relive the last day of her life over and over. And uh, she died in 1985, and she is the only member of her family to be aware of this. So in a sense, our film kind of picks up where, say, Sixth Sense or the others left off in that our protagonist is a ghost, but in this case, she knows she's a ghost from the get-go. And, and it's really a mystery about how she died. And, um, and then there's a, a parallel story with a family that is currently living in the house in 2013 who may be in danger of suffering the same fate as her family. So it's quite a, a beautifully constructed story. It's written by um, a very dear friend of mine, Brian King, who wrote my second film, Cypher. And uh, Brian writes these very elaborate, labyrinthine kind of stories. And, and that's what Haunter is. It's, um, it's a, definitely a non-traditional ghost story. Now, would this qualify as a horror? Is, are there a lot of horror elements to it? Or is it more of like a thriller? You know, like everything I do, and the problem with many things that I do is that it's, it's a hybrid. Mm-hmm. So I would say, yes, I would certainly define it as, as a horror film, but I think that the word horror in the advent of torture, porn, etc., has taken on a kind of aspect that definitely our film doesn't encompass. Our movie is very much bloodless. Um, it, it is, I hope, scary. But it's, it is, in the sense, a classic ghost story in so much as we rely entirely on atmosphere and suggestion rather than anything gratuitous. And I actually made a vow that I would not have a drop of blood in this movie. Um, this is coming from someone who has no fear about shedding blood on screen. Right, yeah. Well, I, I'm, ex- I'm excited about that. Yes. That's, that's my type of horror film. Yes. Oh, good. Yes. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of horror films, and I always find the ones that are more atmospheric and mood-based to be the most frightening. I think so. I mean, you know, I did a little bit of research before stepping into the movie, um, and I actually found, in looking at ghost stories, etc., the most frightening director of the supernatural that I've seen is Ingmar Bergman. <laughs> and... You wouldn't expect that, but um, it's because he treats it, he treats the concept of a ghost or the arrival of someone who's dead is utterly natural. So there's nothing spectral about them. You don't, you can't, it's not when the ghost appears, it's just a person. Only, the only difference being that you know that they're dead. And there's, there's something about that that's profoundly unnerving and, and frightening. And um, so it's, the, it's actually the matter of, fact, matter of factness of it that is uh is the most disturbing aspect and and i tried to shoot the film in that way it's not it's not terribly baroque or anything it's you know the even the house itself is kind of a it's a georgian style house it's not full of you know arches and um cantilevered uh windows it's not Mm -hmm. a typical haunted house it's actually a very friendly looking home it's the kind of place you know if you were lucky you got to go up in the 1980s Looking at your filmography, it looks like you you kind of stick within like the science fiction horror uh, genres. Is that something that you really enjoy doing? Do you ever want to 
break out into other genres or is this is this your wheelhouse yeah no i i don't have any desire to leave <laughs> um, i mean to me you know we're living in a science fiction horror film right now so yep <laughs> it's all very true to life and feels very relevant and uh no i i grew up i let me put it this way my life is very dull and i would never want to commit it to film mm-hmm. uh, I would never do that to another human being. <laughs> so um, what's much more interesting is, is my fantasy life, I think. And uh, that's what really interests me is, is putting things on the screen that don't exist or overtly exist in our everyday lives. So uh, like we said before, the, the film is having its world premiere at South by Southwest. Uh, do you know what days that's going to be screening at the festival? I think it's the 9th. I'd have to look at a calendar, but it's it's Saturday night at midnight. Okay, Saturday night at midnight, and it is part of the Midnighters series at South by, where it's all like the the great genre films that I'm a big fan of. So definitely have to check that out. And will you'll be you'll be at the festival as well? I'm assuming. Oh yes, absolutely. And uh, are any of the cast or crew going to be there? I hope Abigail's going to be there. I know she wants to go. Um, but I haven't heard that 100% confirmed. So, uh, and definitely Brian will be there. And Brian is the, by the way, is the creator of this thing. I mean, I, it, this is one of those projects where, one of the rare projects that kind of landed in my lap. And um, it's entirely Brian's creation. So, we're, you know, we're going there as, as co creators. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that wraps it up. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes of your time to talk with us. Uh, Again, the film's called Haunter. It's premiering at South by Southwest this week. And thank you again for giving us a chat. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Kevin. It was a pleasure. Thank you again, Vincenzo, for taking some time to give us a chat. Give us that chat. Come on. And if you're going to be in South by, make sure to check out Haunter. All right, let's get into some of what we've been watching. Kevin, we're going to start it with you this week. I started off with... Gene Dealman, the infamous Gene Dealman by Chantal Ackerman. This film is, I can't, it's like three plus hours. Uh, You know, you've probably heard of neorealism. Yeah, I mean, I'm familiar with this movie. Okay, yeah, this is beyond neorealism. This is like uber realism just hyper-realism. It's ridiculous. Everything plays out in real time. And it's essentially just a woman doing the dishes, making dinner, uh, folding clothes, knitting, you know, everything that everyone finds immensely exciting. Uh, This is essentially an experiment. This is not your standard entertainment film. And I found it to be quite good. It's you know how there was the movies in the 70s and such that long build up and then the finale would just be insanity, you know, violence, all that stuff. That was essentially yeah. the, how the 70s were. The taxi driver. Yeah. This film is pretty much three hour fuse until you get to any sort of action. But at the same time, it's a, you know, it can be examined any sort of ways. Uh, a lot of people see it as a feminist movie, and I quite liked it. I found myself being drawn into it, and even though that it, you know when it first came out, it 
you could only see it in the theater. You couldn't do anything else. You were in your seat watching the film. Oddly enough, when I was able to watch it, I'm sitting at home watching it on the TV. And a lot of times I found myself doing the dishes while I'm watching the film. So as I'm doing my household chores, I'm like, oh, this is like Gene Dealman. So I don't know, you know, obviously Chantel Ackerman didn't plan that to happen, but it worked out quite well. Um, if, if you're a true cinephile, you really love movies, cinema, um, love movies where you can really read into everything, check it out. If not, if you don't like that, you want entertainment, steer well clear of this movie because <laughs> you're going to fucking hate it. Mm, sounds like a challenge. It is a challenge, but it's one of those movies that I'm going to be thinking about for years. I mean, I'm still, I watched it, what, back on the 25th of February? I'm still thinking about this fucking movie. Mm. I'm still reading into it different ways, all sorts of stuff. I enjoyed it. It's a, yeah, it's not, it's not exciting in any way. I mean, there's a thing at the end that sort of catches you off guard, but do you want to wait three plus hours to get to that point? I don't know. And then I watched uh, Man is Not a Bird. This is Dusan Mekid... Oh, fuck. <laughs> yes. Dusan. Yes. And the funny thing is I've been nailing it all day. Dusan Mekivig. Mekivjiv. Dusan Mekivjiv. This is Dusan. <laughs> <laughs> it's being kept in. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Fucking Yugoslavia. Dusan Megajev. Debut feature film. Fucking killed it. Uh, this is beautiful black and white movie. Uh, his first feature film. He turned out to be um, the completely radical experimental filmmaker. Just making crazy off the wall films that pretty much got all got banned. And he actually had to leave communist Yugoslavia. And this film slightly touches, dips its toes into the experimental realm, but uh, a lot of it is actually pretty straightforward Hollywood fare. But, I mean, I have to be, I was completely surprised that Yugoslavia was creating such great cinema during this time. This is from 1965. Uh, This is out on... Not Criterion, it's out on their like lower level Eclipse mm-hmm. series, mm-hmm. like his first couple of films or whatever. And the camera work is the absolute highlight of this film. It's just, it's amazing. You have the wide angle shots, the overhead shots, but then he has this completely radical, extreme in your face close ups and handhelds. Um, completely freeform where he's just floating around all the action, just spinning around the characters. It's just, it's fantastic movie. It would definitely check it out. Plus, you know, it has all the underlying criticizing communism and all that stuff. Definitely a good film to check out. And then, uh, I followed it up with war, Witch, which I have a review up on the website this is uh, a film I actually got the screener for the Independent Spirit Awards. So that's how I was able to watch this. Because this, of course, did not come anywhere close to my area. No. And I doubt it ever will. And I remember you talking about this 
couple months back. Yeah. I can't um, remember exactly when, but I remember you talking about, you know, the whole, like, witchcraft element of it. Yeah. Sort of catching you off guard. And it caught me off guard, too, even though I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. I knew you told me about it. Yeah. And I thought that it was the absolute highlight of this film. It yeah, was, it was really perfectly cool. done. Yeah. I loved it. It was done in such a, like, a, just a nonchalant, matter-of-fact yeah. way. Sort of like uh, Beautiful, the Javier Bardem film where they just sort of popped up there's no explanation or anything they're just there it was very understated mm-hmm. how, how yes. they came up came into it and it was like it didn't detract from the movie it didn't make the movie feel any less real to me no no and it, the, the way they presented the ghost uh was awesome. it's, yeah for me like i just believed it right away i was mm-hmm. like yeah yeah ghost gotcha not gonna question at all so, th- I mean, I gave this an 8 out of 10 on the site in my review. I thought it was an outstanding film. Um, numerous films in one, essentially coming of age tale, um, young love tale, sort of, you know, a harsh war drama, just everything rolled into one. Yes, and this, is, this was nominated for uh, the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. Yes, and rightly so. I mean, the... The performances were just all around great. And I love how they touched on the, which I didn't include in my review, but the the whole albinoism thing in Africa, because they're actually being, it's a real dilemma in Africa. They're being hunted and killed for ritualistic, superstitious reasons. So they actually have like a terrible, terrible, terrible um, existence in Africa. And they they lightly touch on it, which was refreshing to see. But I almost wish they went a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I watched I Am Divine, which, you know, for the sake of the interview, Rebel, 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 for the sake of the interview. But that's essentially it. I did rewatch Moonrise Kingdom. Oh. Because I forgot that I had the screener for Independent Spirit Awards. God damn, that was a great movie. I know, I love it. I, oh, when I, I, love when it. I rewatched it, I was like, I, I think I even liked it even more the second time. Yeah, with the Wes Anderson film, you always pick up on the little things. Yeah, and it, it still makes me laugh. I mean, even uh, during the... Was it during the... I don't know if it was... Yeah, I think it was the Independent Spirit Awards when they were just showing clips, and I was just laughing hysterically, even at just like the little clips that they would show during the awards. Yeah, yeah I'm just so much fun. Loved it. Uh, okay. Well, I started out the week by rewatching a movie from 1997 called Cube. Cube. Directed by Vincenzo Natale, who we just spoke with. Uh, I still like Cube. I still think it's a very, very interesting concept. I thought it was an incredibly well-made film, uh, just simply for the budget. And oh, yeah. Just, just a really cool concept. I mean, if you haven't heard of Cube, it's just about this group of people that wake up in this room and there's these doors on every wall, including the ceiling and the floor. And they just lead into almost identical rooms. And some of the rooms have traps and it's basically about how they're just trying to figure out where they are and how to get out. And uh, it's really interesting. There's a lot of like logic and math involved with, with, how they figure it out and stuff. And I, it felt like a very smart movie. Yeah. And I remember when this 
I think it would we me and you first saw this movie. Yeah. yeah way back. Way, what way was back. it? Ninety seven? Yeah. Yep. Man, this movie was amazing. Yeah. I mean it blew me away. The, the special effects did not stand up. I remember when I first saw this, I remember thinking like the the acting wasn't the best and it, it didn't look like a, a big budget Hollywood movie, but I didn't really have an issue with the special effects back then, but now they really look dated. Yeah. Um, but I did read that all the special effects were donated for free. All the Ooh. effects work was done for free. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, I, I don't want to say that that's why they didn't look bad. Uh, they just, they don't hold up over time basically. Yeah. But I mean, it was an extremely inventive use of the, the entire thought of one setting. One room, right. yeah, yeah, and they exactly. how they just changed the lighting in the cube, mm-hmm. but essentially it was just the same room over and over again. Yeah, exactly, and it's it's really cool if if you're into to sci-fi horror type movies, uh, definitely recommend checking that out. A lot of fisheye lens that they use in that too, like a lot of crazy. It 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 almost felt like a Sam Raimi film. How mm-hmm. they use like these crazy like. I mean, I don't know if it was a fisheye, but it kind of had that look where they yeah. do like these ext- like crazy fast close-ups and stuff where they actually move the camera and really cool, really cool. Yeah, movie. see, when when you told me that we were going to be interviewing him, I wanted so badly to revisit Cube, and I just wasn't able to in time. Yeah, yeah, uh, I did not revisit Cube Two Hypercube though. <laughs> Cube Zero. Did you get to, you didn't get around to Cube Zero? Well, actually, I have seen both of those. Cube Two Hypercube is really bad. Uh, cube Zero is actually not too bad. Now, Tali only did the first. Right, he cube, only did the first right? one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He nailed that shit and got out. <laughs> yeah, he was smart. Uh, then I saw Female Trouble, and uh, this is by John Waters. I did this for my Grindhouse weekly feature. I also kind of did it just because we. I knew we were going to be talking about I'm Divine and um, Female Trouble was awesome. <laughs> oh, that fucking drunk guy. It, it was really. The best thing was I don't think I included that in the actual episode, so people were probably really confused right now. Yes. Love it. But Female Trouble, great movie. Came out in 74, starring Divine. If you're a fan of John Waters, this is not to be missed. I, I'm almost ashamed that it took me this long <laughs> to see this movie, actually. Have you seen Female Trouble? No, I have not. Yeah, so you should definitely I mean, check yeah, it out. I'm, no, I'm totally ashamed that I haven't seen as many Waters films as I should have. I've seen almost all of them. I haven't seen... Uh, I think the only one I haven't seen is... Um, oh... What was it called? Desperate Living, is it? <clears throat> I think that was the one. I think it was called Desperate Living. I also remembered, and I can, I might be wrong. I don't think I am. But wasn't uh, Cecil B. DeMented, wasn't Michael Shannon the guy that got stuck in the K-hole? Was it? I, I think it might have been. I'm, I'm going to have to rewatch that movie. But I, I'm, <laughs> that really, wanna... I'm really hoping that he was the guy that got stuck in the K-hole. That was one of the first um, DVDs I owned was Cecil B. DeMented. <laughs> I just I love the thought of Michael Shannon being stuck in a K hole. I also like that thought. So <laughs> female trouble, highly recommend it. You can read my thoughts in detail on the site. Uh, then I saw I rewatched 
Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Oh, okay. And I still I, haven't seen this yet. I, I rewatched this because the trailer for the new one came out this week. And I it watching the trailer for the new one, it, it made me remember how much I really enjoyed the first one. Uh, on a rewatch, and I haven't seen this since it was in theaters, I still liked it just as much on a rewatch. I mean, it's That's good to know. It's hilarious. It's incredibly well made. The animation's awesome. And it's one of those movies where I remember when the trailers first came out, I was like, yeah, it looks kind of stupid. I'm not really that into it. But then when I actually saw it, I was like, this is great. I loved it. Yeah. Now, dude, I mean, we were sort of talking about this earlier. There's so many animated films that I haven't seen yet. Now this the, is one of them, Paranorman, Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, you got to see really got Yeah, I got to get on the top of my shit here. Now, the the sequel, it has the, the, the whole cast is returning, which is nice. It takes place right after the events of the first one, which is also nice. The only thing that I'm hesitant about is the directors are different. Uh, and it's not the same two guys who did uh, the first one. You know, they went on to do 21 Jump Street. Mm. And that has me a little concerned. Yeah, these are the guys that did Open Season 3. Right, yes. I didn't even know there was a third. I didn't either. Wow. So that, that has me a little concerned. Um, then I saw Jack the Giant Slayer. Uh, this is the new Brian Singer movie that's currently playing in theaters. You know, I thought I was going to really hate this movie. Uh, however, I didn't. I actually thought it was okay. I mean, it, it's it's really middle of the road. Um, yeah. th- there's not a lot to talk about here. It's your pretty typical fairy tale type story. The thing that I found refreshing was that it wasn't overly dark. You know, <laughs> like it wasn't yeah. all... Because we have, like, Snow White and the Huntsman and Hansel and Gretel and all these other ones that are like, ooh, it's a dark take. It's a dark yeah. take on it. Like, it this was don't, just... Adult fairy tales. This was just your standard fun adventure story. And I, I love adventure stories. And this was... It was entertaining. I mean, it had a great cast. I mean, we had Ewan McGregor and Ian McShane. Big fan. Big, really big fan of Ian McShane. I'm a big fan of Eddie Marsden. And a huge fan of Eddie Marsden. He's he's awesome in it. And the animation, the CG was not very good though. Like mm. that was that was a problem. But for the most part, it was pretty light. I mean, it's middle of the road, I would say. Gotcha. I think I gave it like a five out of ten on the site. You can read my full review on the site. So maybe a light it's just it, light it, recommend. It's unbelievable because the usual suspects was such an amazing film. Yeah, I mean Brian Singer um, has a pretty good track record. You look at yeah, his... well, you know what I mean. You start wondering: is it was it Brian Singer or was it Christopher McQuarrie? But even when you look at him, Christopher McQuarrie, you're like, oh, yeah. the usual suspects is such well, an amazing film. I actually, I actually am still a big fan of the first two X Men movies that Brian Singer did. And especially the the second the second X Men movie, I thought that those were actually quite well made. But we'll see. He's going to be doing the new X Men movie. They're bringing him back, so we'll see how mm-hmm. it goes. Uh-uh. In X Men Two and the Wolverine movie were the two, or I'm sorry, X Men Three and Wolverine oh. were the bad ones. Yeah. But uh, and then I saw a movie called Come Out and Play. This is playing on demand right now, which means amazing. <sighs> Is it amazing? No, it is so bad. I can't even. 
I wanted to turn it off, but I paid to rent it, so but it's making, but it's making off. Yeah, it's, it's making yeah, off. It is directed by Making Off. It's making off. Are you kidding me? The best thing about this movie was the opening credits and the and the closing credits. Okay, and that's it. <laughs> that's not a good sign. This is a bad movie. If mm. okay, so it's about like this couple who goes to this tropical island in mexico to have a vacation they go to the town they find out that everybody's gone there's like nobody there uh and then they realize that the kids that lived on the island killed all the adults Mm. and they have some sort of ailment some sort of infection or something that's causing them to kill everybody and it's that's pretty much it they just have to try to escape it's terrible so I'm saying it's seen that this is a remake of Who Can Kill a Child or Island of the Damned, which actually has good ratings. Yeah, Who Can Kill a Child. I haven't seen that, but I heard very good things. In fact, I almost watched that a couple weeks ago for Grindhouse Weekly, but I I chose something else. This is it's horrible. That the mm. it's one of these things where the choices that the characters make are so illogical and stupid that I want to punch them. Oh, nice. And then the only other one I had was Spine Tingler, the William Castle story. This is the documentary about uh, director, producer, William Castle. And this was directed by uh, Jeffrey Schwartz. And I really enjoyed this. Just just like I Am Divine, very informative documentary about William Castle. Uh, a lot I didn't know about William Castle. I'm, I'm a fairly big fan of his uh just because i do like that style that b cinema style and i really wish i was around when his movies were hitting theaters because he's the guy that came up with all the crazy gimmicks for his mm-hmm. movies like yeah. like for the movie tingler he would have uh like little buzzers installed on the theater seats where they would buzz at certain points and yeah he did all kinds of crazy gimmicky stuff and it made me think like why don't they do that why don't they do that now yeah exactly you know you would think like you would think that i mean it's perfectly suited nowadays for interactive film yeah like you would think that somebody like like eli roth or somebody would would pick up the idea and do something like that and i mean maybe it's just that people are more jaded nowadays and they wouldn't you know buy into it but yeah but the thing is I don't there's think that, there's that entire culture where you can't enjoy yourself. Yeah, and like I I don't think that they were buying into it back then either, but they had fun with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like obviously in uh what was what was the movie? Um I can't remember which one of the movies he did, but there was a a skeleton that would that, that they had like on a wire that they would run across the audience and stuff and yeah. They just did so much cool shit, and I I kind of wish that they would bring that back. Like, yeah. do do something gimmicky and fun, you know? Like, have nurses, ha- have, like, actual nurses be on site and, <laughs> like, taking people's blood pressures and stuff. And, uh, like, the one he took out an insurance policy on all of the, the people that saw the movie in case they died of fright and, and stuff like that. And it was just, Love. yeah, it was just great. Uh, so that's all I have. Let's talk about our predictions from last week. You said uh, we've got 21 and over. You said 20. I said 18. Actual 31 
on that. Serious? Yeah. We we have the review for that up on the site. I think um, Alicia gave it like a five out of ten. Seems a little high. But, Seems a little high. Yeah. A bit. Anyway, Jack the Giant Slayer. You said thirty six. I said forty two. Actual fifty two on that. Mm. Mm. And we have the Last Exorcism Part Two. You said seven. I said ten. Actual fifteen. Damn it. Oh <laughs> uh, well, we knew it was gonna be bad. And then we have Stoker. You said 74, I said 87, actual 70. That'll probably change because I think that they're going to have uh, more. Yeah. That's going to be coming in into more theaters yeah. starting next week. So that, that score will probably change. More uh, next week, we really only have two wide releases, and that's Oz the Great and Powerful. Ooh. What are you thinking on this? Thinking 58. 58? Okay, I'm going to say 62. Hopefully it'll be good. I don't know. And then we have Dead Man Down. I don't know too much about this, and I don't really know what to think, so I'm going to say 50. I'm going to go with uh, 56. Yeah, I don't know what to think about that one. Uh, Limited release, we also have the ABCs of Death and Electric Children, so those might be worth checking out. Did get a chance to see both of those. I was not pleased with ABCs of Death, and the review for that is up on the site currently. Electric Children, we didn't review that, but we did see that as part of our, uh, or I saw it as part of the Independent Spirit Awards, and it was pretty good. Billy Zane. Billy Zane? DVD and Blu-ray releases. This is for Tuesday, March 5th, 2013. We have The Bay. Uh, I did not like The Bay. But, I have uh, no interest in the bear. It's uh, you know, kind of an interesting found footage movie, and then we have in Intouchables, which is getting remade. Yeah, yes, it is. From Shadiac. Yes, uh, I didn't really have any kind of desire to see this, and I, I still don't really. I, I still don't either, even though it has had numerous, numerous uh, accolades. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just glowing review after glowing review. Yeah, I still just don't have any desire to see that one. And playing for keeps, no desire to see that. Red Dawn, no desire. Wreck It Ralph, mm. I do recommend yes. that if you haven't checked that out. That's yes, that's I'm quite excited good. for that one. It's quite good. I mean, it's not earth shattering. It's not like on the same level as you know some of the the better Pixar stuff, but it is still a fun movie. Uh, we also have. I wanted to mention this. All Dogs Go to Heaven, 1 and 2, new to Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. there you go. I haven't seen those in forever. I know. I think I forgot that they existed. Wow. Uh, do, you, do you have any releases coming out? No, I actually have not. Criterion is doing nothing. Nothing? Oh. This week. Apparently, they're taking a break <laughs> from fucking killing it. <laughs> taking a break from killing it that's right well i think that that wraps it up yeah for a lot of a lot of interviews yeah a lot of stuff going on here for all the latest film news and reviews visit us at filmpulse.net we want to hear your feedback send us an email feedback filmpulse.net or call our voicemail line at 850-391-6071 also please take a minute to rate us on itunes we appreciate that very much for filmpulse.net my name is adam I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Wednesday for Ryan Watches a Movie.
All right, uh, I got a lot of work to do here, and I'm hungry.